Welcome to episode 5 of the National Pulse podcast. I'm Hinkas, our editor-in-chief of thenationalpulse.com. We have as our lead story on the site right now a story, really a piece of longer-form analysis on how Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez has framed a lot of what happened on January the 6th. I'm very reluctant to get into some of the more rumor and Washington, D.C. chitter-chatter that you hear sometimes, and, and, and this can sometimes be classified as one of those things, but I think this thing has such a massive, massive, just huge, huge, huge implication as to a lot of the facts that are being told to us about what's happened over the course of the last couple of weeks in the United States here. And from a reporting perspective, it is totally relevant. From a news perspective, it is totally relevant. Because as our guest on this podcast will tell us, this is somewhat about something much larger, which is the second impeachment of the President of the United States, the 45th President of the United States, Donald J. Trump, and it's hard to avoid and ignore this sort of thing as just noise when it pertains to so much that's going to take place in terms of the truth, of the fact, of the matter, of the impeachment trial, as we'll hear about it over the next week or so. And so, on that note, I am going to dial in our next guest on this show it is Jack Posobiec of One American News, as you can tell. And here I'm dialing Jack Posobiec into the show now. I love to dial people in live. Jack, are you there? I am here. We got it. We did it. The second time we've ever done this and it's as successful as the first. I don't do any of the you know, preamble, the pre-interview type stuff that so many shows do. We dive right into it and I dial the people in live and Jack, I'm so grateful for you carving the time out today. I realize I'm I'm late. I'm always late. I'm late uh, to this appointment. So we'll get right into it. Jack, uh, a lot of people will look at the story that we've covered in the last 48 hours and think, ah, it's partisan noise. It's It's one side versus the other. We're so tired of that type of uh politics that back and forth um and i pride myself on on not paying attention to that and and i know you you do too so tell us from the outset why uh the hashtag alexandra acacia smollett hashtag aoc lied stuff is actually so important to you and is actually worth covering well the reason that this all got started in the first place was in the breakdown of the January 6th, the aftermath, everything that happened at that event, every lawmaker was making their comments. We've now also seeing uh, a new open uh, session that's going to be held from AOC and the squad in the actual House chamber is going to happen later on this evening, tonight, here in D.C. But what got me was that I read an article from Red State that was pointing out that AOC was starting a new narrative and that when she, that's what she does when she routinely goes out and does these Instagram lives. She tells narratives. But this narrative actually didn't fit with the facts in evidence. And why are these facts so important? 
because, of course, the president of the United States is being impeached by the House, which, of course, she's a member of, right? She actually voted for impeachment based on these facts and evidence. That's why it's so important, and we're realizing that she has been essentially embellishing, exaggerating the story, putting herself at the center of it. Remember, she first said that she was nearly killed. She then accused Senator Ted Cruz of trying to have her murdered when he wanted to reach out across the aisle, by the way, to try to work with her on on Wall Street bets and and the Reddit um, rebellion. And so for her to use this vitriol predicated on a story which, when it actually comes down to the end of it, it turns out she wasn't in any danger. She was in her office across the street from the Capitol building. There were no rioters there. And yet when you call her out on it, she responds to me claiming that there were bombs, there were people in the tunnels, there were people running up and down the hallways. And even moderate Congresswoman Nancy Mace is saying, I was on that same corridor. There was nothing. There was nothing of the sort. And so when AOC responds, she doubles down. This is what is creating such of an issue for a role of a roadblock in Washington, D.C., because you've got someone where we actually had unity on an issue for once, and she's making it all about division. The unity on the issue being that I, uh, people from all sides, you and I included, abhor violence, abhor vandalism. We've made our positions very strong on that over the course of 2020 in all of the riots we saw and the vandalism we saw, the burning down of businesses that we saw. And so it was relatively easy and comprehensible for everybody to get on the same page on this, which is to say, hey, you have your First Amendment rights, you have the ability to peaceably demonstrate and to redress the grievances that you have with your government but actually going so far as to uh, uh, physically break in to the capitol building and and occupy and i'm not saying there isn't hypocrisy on this and we'll get to that in a minute but occupy uh, the chambers of government especially on such an important day are somewhat beyond the pale and what aoc has done here is something that actually jack she's done pretty much on every single issue she's ever been involved with, which is drastically embellishing, which is adding this layer of histrionics onto the event and the circumstances that occurred. But on this issue, I think the reality and the reason why people are so upset with her and are, and are fisking the issue so, so in such great detail is because it is on an issue that so many people felt united on and she felt the need to go and, and, and be a partisan and, and use this event for partisan purposes, attacking Ted Cruz calling him, you know, saying that he, uh, you know, effectively advocated for her murder or, or took steps that almost led to her murder. It's, 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 it's absolutely incredible. And you raise a number of things there that I want to get into here. So let's, let's start at the very top, which is where was AOC? The quote that she gave in her Instagram live, which had hundreds of thousands, if not over a million people who viewed that Instagram live just a couple of days ago, the tale that she told was that she feared for her life. She was stuck in her own toilet in her office in the Cannon Building and, and was convinced that there were people marauding up and down the hallways going, where is she? Where is she? So, Jack, where exactly? And, and talk to us about the importance of maps here. Where was she in relation to the Capitol 
building in the wider capital complex. Right. So the point that AOC was making, and it is a fair point, is that all of the buildings of the Washington, D.C. Capitol Hill complex are connected underground by a series of tunnels. Yet, for people who don't understand this, they'll think that Capitol building that we all see on top of Capitol Hill, that iconic building, is where your representatives and your senators spend their time, spend their days in and out. That's actually not the case. There's simply not enough space in that building. What they do is they have a series of buildings on the south side and the north side, the south side for the House, the north side for the Senate. And on the south side, there are four buildings that members of Congress use for themselves, for their staff to, to conduct that work. Those tunnels underneath all have multiple security checkpoints. They have fences, all of which were triggered and went up very early on in all of this. So during the beginning of when this all took place, by her own reporting, AOC was in her office across the street, really uh, about a block away from the actual Capitol building where anything was taking place. This is, I mean, for people who know Capitol Hill, for people who uh, work around here or live around here, and of course the audience, the regular audience of this show will know, and, and welcome, by the way, if you're a new member of the audience of this show, will know that it's not exactly easy to, tra to traverse uh, the entire Capitol complex. People will realize that the series of tunnels, if especially if you're it not It actually is a hill. Yeah, it, it is actually a hill. Uh, I am particularly unfit, so I, I bear the brunt of that hill on the days that I have to walk up it. Uh, and, and the tunnel system is not exactly clear to people who aren't familiar with it. They wouldn't be able to just, hey, go into the basement of the Capitol and easily point in a direction and go, that's where AOC is. Let's go and get her. And the truth of the matter is, if you think about it, to have that level of staffing that you need on Capitol Hill, there of course would have to be ancillary buildings, there of course have to be different elements of this that aren't housed within that one actually rather small entity that we know as the Capitol. Now, you and I are not saying that all of the other buildings aren't part of the Capitol complex, they of course are. We've also seen fake stuff from other people on social media that claim that the Capitol complex extends to Union Station uh, here in Washington, D.C., which is just not the case. Uh, but all of this has been broadly traversable. You can walk above ground. People sled down Capitol Hill. They go and see the Christmas tree. I've personally had picnics out on, on the Capitol grounds in, in, in previous summers. And what people are sort of seeing here from AOC's narrative of this is that it actually doesn't square with her being under any imminent threat from people who were, you know, rioting and vandalizing and marching their way into the actual Capitol building. So as you say, it's about a block away, maybe even more considering the fact that the office buildings themselves span a block. So you get one block and then you have to go within another block. It's too effectively and you also as a tourist or as a, as a lay person not a member of the congress not a member of staff don't have an understanding of necessarily which tunnel will get you in which direction and therefore there are all sorts of complications that arise about getting to these separate office buildings and there are a lot of them by the way there's not just one separate office complex uh, for members of the house or members of the senate so she was in the cannon office building which is separate and apart from the capitol building and 
Jack, let me ask you this. Let's just deal with this from the outset. Have there been any reports, any confirmed reports, anything reliable that says that rioters, people who were violent, people who were seeking to do damage, ever made their way into the Cannon office building where AOC's office was? Well, you know, my first reaction to seeing her respond to me on Twitter, call me out uh, with her 12 million followers, you know, I'm, I'm no slouch on Twitter. I've got a million plus, but it's quite a bit. And I thought, did I get something wrong, mm. possibly? So I went, and fortunately for myself, here at One American News, we actually had producers that were stuck in the Cannon office building for the entirety of that day. They were put under lockdown. And I went over to them immediately and I said, hey, you know, I'm not going to name names, but, mm. you know, the behind the scenes kind of folks that help us out with our videos and mm. our broadcasting here. And I said, look, you were stuck over there. Were there any rioters? Were you in any danger? Am I missing part of the picture here? Is there something that I'm getting wrong for her to respond so angrily to me? And he looked up at me so confused and said, Jack, there was nothing of the sort. I mean, we were we were stuck for a long time. We, we couldn't have access to uh, food. You know, we weren't really sure what was going on. But in terms of danger, no, there was nothing like that. He said, and specifically, we could see outside the building what was going on because there are windows, of course, at the ground floor and, and above. So we could see that the... The protesters and the, the ones that did it cross the line into rioting were all far away in the distance, that there was no imminent threat to anyone in that building. So, so your answer to my question is, is, is no, that she wasn't in any direct uh, danger in the Cannon office building. And yet the story that she's told is that she felt that she was, you know, seconds away from being murdered. She was on the brink of being assassinated. She has said things like, all I wanted to do in that, all I thought of in that moment was thinking about how all I wanted to do is have children and that that would never come to pass. I felt like this was it. It's over. This is my last day on earth. And, and and that turns out to not be true. So we, we've we been through this and we've sat down for, for many hours now over the last couple of days and poured over the evidence on this. And we'll get into what that says about AOC and what it's doing to her uh, trustworthiness, even amongst her own base, seeing these Twitter trends going on and on over the last couple of days. But, but I want to get into what you just mentioned, which is the fact that she felt she needed to respond to you. Now, you were one of the first people to this story. As you say, Red State had a, a, a short article up on it, but it was an article that really got to the point, and I, I credit them and commend them highly for, for getting to this. And then people have also gone in and done their own research, referred back to some reporting from left-wing news outlets, uh, types uh, of organizations like Gizmodo and ProPublica, who used IP addresses and GPS signals to map out where people were, specifically where rioters were in amongst this whole fracas. And it, it turns out that, again, to, to confirm what you're reporting to us here, that people were not near and around and congregating in the Cannon House office building. So why would somebody who is one of the most influential, maybe not powerful, maybe powerful, maybe you think she's powerful, but in, certainly influential politicians in the entire world feel a need to respond to you when you say, turns out AOC's story, as she's been telling it the last couple of days, isn't precisely true? Well, 
what AOC has been attempting to do with this is, is really a very low form of politics. You know, Michelle Obama used to say, when they go low, we go high. This is the opposite. Uh, this is when somebody went low, she's going lower. She's attempting to take what admittedly was a tragic situation, terrible situation, but she is weaponizing it. She is attempting to weaponize it for partisan politics to use to go after her political opponents, her critics, and anyone who dare get in her way. That she's now using in something that you see a lot in sort of social justice um, doctrine is they have this belief in a sort of inverted hierarchy of victimhood. It's a victimhood culture where they actually celebrate victimhood. And so for her is she is attempting to ascribe a new and claim a new victimhood status for herself, even though, as we had just outlined heretofore, she was not victimized in anything other than she was in a terrible situation. She was asked to evacuate. Yes, that happened. Mm -hmm. But there was no actual victimization other than what we know took place. Now, she's also attempting to put her feelings, well, I felt victimized, therefore I've become victimized. We also see this same type of narrative again and again when we're talking to folks on the far left. It is not the truth that matters, objective truth. It is subjective truth, my truth, my lived experience. You'll hear this again and again when you're talking to these folks. And for anyone who's listening that's had any of these conversations, I know sometimes people will think, well, it's strange. What do you mean your truth? Isn't there only one truth? Well, if you can have multiple choice for truths, then you can have multiple choice for what actually took place in reality. Now, when it comes to the president, of course, that also explains how this impeachment can go forward, because we now know, going back to the timeline, that this event started while he was still on stage. And actually, something that AOC mentions in her Instagram Live is the fact that at one o'clock was when she first heard the bang, 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 as she puts it on her door. At one o'clock, the President of the United States was still speaking at the Ellipse over a 40-minute walk away from the Capitol. Well, hold on, Jack, because this is this is critical, and, and, and I'm glad you bring it up, because I wanted to get to the to the timeline. As you know, I'm I'm, I'm keen on timelines. I, I was keen on timelines during the last impeachment where we caught so many of the things out uh, that some of the more establishment players were saying about their meetings in foreign countries and how they played into the broader narrative surrounding the president of the United States at the time, Donald Trump, and his conversations with Ukrainian politicians and so on and so forth. And I think timelines and maps and, and, and what really effectively just amounts to evidence and, and demonstrable evidence is, is far more important than the way people felt. That's not to say that the way people felt isn't important, by the way, and, and I've got no sympathy towards people who say, you know, nobody, nobody in the Capitol building or the Capitol complex, in fact, should have felt threatened in that circumstance. No, they absolutely will have been uh, under, under the cosh, felt, felt threatened, felt... Nobody likes having their office... Um, 
told by police and, and specifically capital police that hey you need to shelter in place and you need to evacuate and all of these different things that were going on in those very in that very short amount of time we can certainly empathize with that but then well and and, and i would just add and, and, and thank god by the way that nothing happened to her sure. or any member of congress that day sure but there's something that you hit on that i think a lot of people say it, when you go into uh, psychology, when you read more about this, they'll point out that nobody can ever help how they feel. Mm. But what you can do is decide how you react to those feelings. Mm. Your decisions, your options, your agency comes into play when you decide how you act on those emotions. And that's emotional maturity. You can decide to use those to better yourself, you can decide to steal yourself, to become a leader, to rise to the occasion, or you could use those to victimize your opponents. And so the timeline, and, and we've got into the timeline over the National Pulse before, and again, ladies and gentlemen, our guest here is Jack Posobiec. He is a reporter at One American News and, 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 a, and a social media star. He's very much one of the people who I rely on for breaking news on social media and has, I don't think, Jack, ever been suspended from social media. You've, you've never had a situation where one of these big tech giants has come to you and said you may not post anymore because what you're posting is fake news or or, or, or untrustworthy. So you know, I used to be able to say that right up until the Hunter Biden with the New York Post scandal, but you know that was sort of a blanket ban they put on that entire story. That was the only time it's ever happened. Wait, were you suspended then? It was 12 hours. Well, wow, twelve. Okay, so a twelve-hour suspension over the course of the Hunter Biden story. And believe me, if you if you want more about the Hunter Biden story, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be getting into more of that on this show. Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast, Jack. The timeline of events. So the president gets up there and he speaks from about noon to about one eleven p.m. We know from the uh, testimony that has been given thus far by the chief of the former now chief of the Capitol Police that actually his front line was breached at around 12.40 p.m. and the Capitol building proper was breached at about 1.50 p.m. People from the president's speech, when the president had finished speaking, would have had to walk over from the White House to the Capitol. That's about a 40 to 45 minute walk, given the fact that there were road closures, given the fact that there were hundreds of thousands of people out on the streets. There was no cars. You couldn't get an Uber or anything like that on the day. So really, that puts people outside the Capitol building who were there to, as the president put it in on the day, peacefully protest. That puts them there at about 1.56 p.m. But all of what AOC says she went through kind of took place before that, right? Right. And this is key. You've also seen other folks on social media like Tim Pool go through this timeline and say, wait a minute, it doesn't add up. If the Capitol was breached at 145, 150, but she's saying that the bangs on her door, the knocks on her door came at one o'clock, then how could it be? that this was being done by people that had attended President Trump's speech, then gotten all the way across town, at least a 40-minute walk on a good day, uh, all the way uphill, into the, the building, into her office, when we know that the Capitol 
was yet to be breached for another 40 to 50 minutes. Okay, so let's pull back from all of the politics. Let's pull back from everything else here. Physically speaking, you know, in the, in the, in the realm of the space-time continuum, was it possible for people who were there at the president's speech to be inside the Capitol building, even maybe inside the Cannon House building, uh, when AOC says they were there? It's just not possible. If you stayed for the Trump for President Trump's full speech, mm. and then you as, started walking as President Trump finished, supporters do, by the way, they're not exactly as people they generally that, do. Yeah, they don't peter off halfway through. Right. There they is were, no wait, hold on. Let's, for the audience that doesn't know this, in Catholic by localism. For, for, for the audience that doesn't know this, sainthood. what what time do you ha- did you have to start lining up at the White House to hear this speech? Oh, you had to line. There were people lining up at six in the morning, mm-hmm. seven in the morning. It was packed. There were easily a hundred thousand people there. Mm-hmm. That's why when we talk about the fact that it was such a small percentage that actually went into the Capitol, it's I think people don't really look at those photos of the hundreds of thousands there on the ellipse in the National Mall that took place that were completely peaceful when you only had maybe at most a couple hundred that actually made it into the Capitol building proper. And of course, only an even smaller percentage of those actually did anything that would be considered violence. And so for them to go down and across, it just would be a physical impossibility. In fact, there were so many people there that when I went and I had a pass and full access and everything, and uh, I was going to cover it for One American News, that I decided to actually not go and cover it because it was so many people that I couldn't get in. Jack, that morning, I'll let the audience in on this, uh, you and I actually were in the same place at the same time. We were we were at my uh, house where, where where I'm recording this from right now, and we and we walked from Capitol Hill down to your office, down uh, Capitol Hill, down to your office, uh, and actually got up on the rooftop of your office and 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 overlooked the situation as it was on Capitol Hill at the time. We heard some bangs going off on our on our walk down. L- let our audience know who was closer to the to the you know quote unquote action as it was taking place at that point in time. And again, this was before the president had even finished speaking yes to the audience I, I i did set off on my journey downtown to to uh, film my afternoon my then afternoon show before the president had finished his speech i just had to because timing wouldn't have allowed me to do anything different but but tell our audience jack who was closer to the action at that point well, was right, it you and point, i so or was it aoc so we've gone past the Supreme Court. We're coming down Constitution Avenue now. Mm. It's right around then, 1 o'clock, 1.10. We heard those first flashbangs go off. The president, of course, is still speaking until 1.11. And so we were really maybe 100 feet, 100 yards away from where all this was going down. We could see it with our own two eyes. We could we could see the the... Uh, the flash of the that initial flashbang, also known as a stun grenade for folks. It's a, it's a munition, a crowd control munition that's used by law enforcement. And we were asking, what the heck is going on? So, And there were no meaningful barriers between us and the crowd. A couple of hedgerows, a couple of streets, and then lawn. Um, the These bike racks had been moved out of the way earlier than we were prior to our arrival. 
And so we're still going through and trying to figure out who exactly moved those bike racks. We've seen some videos of this. But we were very, very close to the action at that point. We then went across the street and went upstairs uh, so that we could look down. But even then, we could see that from that point, we were right in close to the action, whereas AOC, she's back across the street in a building upstairs in the back of her office very far from i don't even know if she could see the capital from there and through and through and crucially through other multiple lines of security right i mean these tunnels aren't just kind of open things that anybody could walk through no you've you've got metal detectors you've got security there you've got security gates that can come down which did come down that day that very quickly will go right across the tunnel and go right across the entrance and you you will not be able to gain entry so again, ladies and gentlemen, we actually have a big uh, story up on the nationalpulse.com about this, and it includes a, a map. And Jack, I know you, you're Mr. Map Break, right? And and I want you to talk to us about the... We're going to have to change it to Map Check now. Map Check, exactly. I want you to check. talk to us about the importance of this in just a second. But I took a, an, an image, and you took an image first and put it up on social media and showed people the distinction between where the Capitol building was and where AOC's office was. Um, but I took an image from the architect of the Capitol, which is the, 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 the organization, the entity that oversees the Capitol grounds, and it, and it actually labels all of the different constituent parts of the Capitol complex, the Russell Senate, the Dirksen Senate, the Hart Senate, the Supreme Court, the Jefferson Building, Adams, Madison, Cannon, Longworth, Rayburn, Ford, O'Neill, the Botanic Garden, and the Capitol Visitor Center. All of these different buildings and separate entities that all have their own security thing, and, and each of them has security between them that stops people just running from one thing to the other. And as Matt Gates told us on the war room uh, in, uh, pandemic, impeachment pandemic, or pandemic impeachment, impeachment pandemic again show, it's not exactly easy. It's not even easy for him as a member of Congress to figure out which way is which so for the ordinary outside person uh it wouldn't have been very clear how to you know get to aoc that's that's getting that's diving into the the hyper detail and i think it's very important but just to pull it back a little bit here jack number one i want to ask you about the importance of like how you came to figure out that this this claim by red state and therefore the wider story was true and you kind of became the focal point of it from there on out with your map check and then second second to all of this i want to ask you what the long-term implications for aoc and even the democrats as we uh, as we approach the second impeachment trial uh what the implications are so you know interestingly enough one one thing that i, I i've always been a fan of maps uh, even from when i was younger um when i served in the navy i was a intelligence officer and so maps of course were part of our daily business uh, you wake up every morning you have to figure out where your ships are you have to figure out where the chinese ships are the russian ships and any uh, any merchant traffic or commercial traffic in your area that is your bread and butter every day is maps uh, particularly submarines, which are hard to find, but we do our best. And so when it comes to situations like this, there's a common refrain or a catchphrase that I like to employ saying maps cut through the rhetoric. Uh, I put up maps of the Keystone XL pipeline that's been canceled. I've also put up maps of the proposed uh, Turkey-Qatar pipeline, which, of course, is something that's been, that Iran is pushing through that we're now going to see if Joe Biden is going to get behind because that's something that they've wanted to that cuts right across Syria. I put up maps of 
the Chinese One Belt, One Road, or the BRI, Belt and Road Initiative, which which plans to cut across Pakistan. They want to cut across Burma. This is why Xinjiang is so strategically important to China, because in, it is located in that southwest area of China that directly connects with Pakistan. That's why maps are so important. This gives them an access point to the Gulf, to the Indian Ocean, right? This is why maps can really cut through a lot of the issues that we see in understanding geopolitics, but also in situations like this, when you have a tactical situation, and we are discussing a tactical situation, that when you lay down a map, you can start to see whether or not people's statements match up with the reality on the ground, because we know that that map, those geolocations cannot change. That's why the IP addresses of where people were is so important. That's why the locations of the office are so important, which, and of course we can find where her map, her, you know, I didn't actually put this on her on my map, but of course we can find specifically which office is hers. That's public knowledge. That's a public office. Mm -hmm. But when we're looking at this, it cuts through the rhetoric to show that folks, you know, people who aren't in D.C. on a regular basis or haven't spent time here, haven't lived here for years, don't realize that those offices are not all part of the same complex. And that's why I've always employed maps, you know, to really explain this to folks. I actually ended up doing a second map check yesterday because they were talking about uh, there was this. Denver Post article going after Congresswoman Lauren Boebert for her mileage. They said she drove too many miles uh, during her campaign in right, 2020 when she when she was campaigning for office. And I pointed out, I said, well, let's go to the map. Her district is the entire western half of the state of Colorado, which includes, in case anybody didn't know, the Rocky Mountains in it. <laughs> <laughs> that entire... <laughs> Uh, geography, massive, which, you, you know, a 10-mile uh, distance yeah. in the Rockies takes you 50 miles going up and down on those things. And so, once again, it's something where you can take one of these false narratives and just blow it out of the water simply by laying it down on the map in much the same way that you have used timelines again and again in these tactical situations and even these legal situations to try to understand whether or not someone is telling the truth or not. It, it is a simple way to fact check something that someone is saying, a claim. I think you and I would make the perfect uh, intelligence gathering partnership because I, I'm very big into timelines. I've always been a time travel kind of guy, big, big, big fan of Back to the Future and other time travel movies. And I've always thought that actually time can tell you a lot about whether or not a situation is feasible. It, it can go down to arguments that you have with your partner. You know, actually, I was here at this point. Why were you home late? Well, I was here at this time and the traffic was this long and it takes this long to right down to is it possible for you to get to the ellipse and into the capitol building between a certain time for you to have been radicalized by the president of the united states and then take action building a pipe bomb, bomb along the way uh, while you sprint from one end of washington dc right, to the other to, to to your point there the fact that you mentioned the pipe bombs that were later discovered mm -hmm. outside of the dnc and the rnc the fbi when they made that announcement, the first thing I went to look for was when were they discovered and when were they planted? Mm -hmm. So the discovery came supposedly when a worker was going to throw something out and found it around that 1240 time frame, right? This, by the way, may have been what led to the evacuation of Cannon out of an abundance of caution, right? Sure. They knew, but this is, again, DNC, RNC, 
it's not that far from the Capitol building, but it's also not right there or the Cannon office. And so the FBI wouldn't say when the pipe bombs were placed. And then a photo emerged of an, un, an unsub, known as an unknown sub, subject, uh, it's FBI parlance, that came out. And you could tell it seemed like an evening shot, like a twilight shot. And yet they wouldn't say when it was. And I said, hold on, because how can they have an evening shot of the person when all of this took place during the day? Mm. Finally, three weeks later, the FBI admits what everyone had suspected, that those pipe bombs were placed the night prior between 7.30 p.m. and 8.30 p.m. as part of a pre-planned operation that was meant to be launched on January 6th. Why did they not include that in their timeline? And I'll tell you, because it went against the narrative that they were trying to portray about January 6th. It's very, very, it may, it may seem easy to gloss over this point at, at this point in time, given how, many, how far we are out from the date now and how much news media we've had to imbibe since that point in time. But it is critical, it is crucial, I say to the audience, that you understand that for the first 72 hours at a minimum after the, the events took place, the narrative that was being sold, and that hasn't been corrected by the way none of these news media organizations none of these talking heads none of the you know the plethora of podcasts and and, and everything else that took place on the back of the news uh column inches everything said that the president himself radicalized people during that speech and it was post the speech that people felt that they needed to take an action and now we know that the bombs were planted in advance the pipe bombs were planted in advance that means that was previous planning that means you know there's all sorts of different things that get uh, uh, th that you need to do in order to smuggle a pipe bomb a viable device into Washington DC and leave it outside of the RNC and the DNC and by the way the RNC as well let's let Let's not forget that one was planted outside the RNC um, over the course of over the course of that evening prior to January the sixth. Jack, I've got two more questions for you before I know we have to let you go. And one of them is this: What is the longer term implication on AOC's credibility and indeed the wider credibility of the impeachment trial at this point because of what she has said? Right. So AOC is known, quite well known, for engaging in. The political rhetoric, which is known as sophistry, right? She does not particularly use uh, logos. She uses pathos, right? She doesn't go for the – and she actually mentioned this once, I believe, in an interview with Anderson Cooper where she said, well, I don't like to be literally true. I like to be <laughs> morally true, right? Right. morally factual, right? Yeah. And so this is a problem that people, I think, identified back in 2019 when she said that. But now it's coming to a head because her sophistry has gotten to such a level where she's going beyond the facts, going beyond anything that even resembles what really happened in order to spin her own narratives, to create her own reality around herself, to aggrandize herself, to aggrandize her experiences. And it hurts her credibility going forward. People are willing to go with her on kids in cages when we knew they weren't really in cages. People were willing to go with her on so many of these things that she talks about because it at least seemed that she was fighting for the little guy, fighting for marginalized people, fighting for people in need. But this time around, 
it sounds like she's trying to weaponize an experience in order to go after her political opponents. She did that to me. She uh, now sent out an email to all of her followers saying that everyone on Twitter and Facebook should report me and anybody who has criticized her in terms of this, right? That is not someone who is standing on the moral high ground. And that since she has lost that, it is also damaging to the narrative of the Democrats in this impeachment process because they are trying to use the theatricality. They are trying to, again, go to that pathos. But if they are crossing into sophistry, if they're crossing into self-aggrandizement, the American people, the people in the middle, centrists, moderates, the people that aren't always so clued into politics, right, that aren't following this on every uh, everyday basis, that aren't subscribing to the National Pulse podcast, that aren't listening to War Room, they're not watching One American News, they're going to remember that AOC embellished. This was a massive story, and it's a massive blow, not just her credibility, but the credibility of the Democrat platform. Jack, it would be remiss of me not to ask you the question um, regarding Joe Biden's foreign policy speech this afternoon and what he said there. Do you have any overarching thoughts that you can leave our audience with about what uh, the president of the United States set out as his priorities? You know, I watched that 18 minute. They build it as a speech, but at 18 minutes, it's more of a soundbite. But this, to me, was an announcement of the end of America first and the return to the same failed globalist ideas of Obama, of Bush, of Clinton. And you heard in that speech, he spent more time attacking what he called the enemy within of American citizens than he spent criticizing the CCP, which is America's and the world's largest threat writ large on the foreign policy stage. It's really uh, incredible, actually, that you you put it so simply, because even the NPR headline uh, for this foreign policy speech was, in first foreign policy address, Biden looks to move beyond Trump's America first. And I suppose you could argue that beyond America first means not America first. It means other things first. And and that could be ideology, it could be philosophy, multilateralism, globalism, you name it. Uh, Who's first, Joe? Exactly. Who's first? It raises the question, right? Who's first in that that scenario? Jack, I know we've got to let you go. I'm really grateful for your time. You've just done amazing work on this. Where can people follow you? Hey, you can follow me on Twitter at Jack Posobiec, J-C-K-P-O-S-O-B-I-E-C. Of course, I'm always on One American News. And lately, Telegram has been absolutely blowing up. So if you're using the new Telegram app, no censorship there, uh, you can find me as well at Jack Posobiec. I absolutely love your Telegram, actually. I think it's fantastic and it reaches people in such a great way. Jack, thank you so much for joining us here this afternoon. Appreciate it, Raheem. Always a pleasure. Cheers. That was Jack Posobiec of One American News, and I'm really glad to have brought you that detail here, ladies and gentlemen. And I want you, and I know a lot of you out here are already up to date on some of the details that you heard there. Maybe you're up to date on all of those details that you've heard here, but this show isn't just about you. And it's certainly not just about me. It's about reaching a wider audience with the truth, with the facts. We do real news and real investigations here at the National Pulse, and I want you, I need you 
to go to thenationalpulse.com. I need you to be clicking around, to be sharing articles, to be involved with the site. We are not funded by billionaires, by corporates, by millionaires, by any of that. We don't have fancy mechanisms to drive site traffic. I do not have that. We are a grassroots from the ground up, two person, two person organization and i want you to help be a part of i guess what we would call our street team so please make sure you subscribe make sure you leave a review for this podcast make sure you go to the nationalpulse.com sharing articles with all your friends we have we just added a new gab button so you can share the articles on gab now on telegram on twitter on facebook we're on all of it if and when parlor comes back we will be on that too And I please, please, please want to implore you, if you like what we do, if you like real news, if you like real investigations, if you like real conversations like we just had with the great Jack Posobiec, please think about sending us $5. You can go to thenationalpulse.com forward slash support. Alternatively, you can go to fundrealnews.com. I will be here as long as you want me to be here. And as long as you do not want me to be here, I don't I don't intend to be here. I'm not going to go and solicit big corporate donations to prop up a news site that doesn't represent you, that doesn't represent ordinary people against the political machine. And so, ladies and gentlemen, I thank you for tuning in. I thank you for tuning into everything that we do, whether it's the war room, whether it's this, whether it's the websites and beyond, all of our partners that share our links. And I cannot sing the praises highly enough of websites like Citizen Free Press and Bongino Report and there are just such a wealth of organizations, entities and websites out there that are coming up. Make sure that you are favoriting them and and you have to understand it is literally, I wish I could look you in the eye right now because it's literally your click, your click that keeps people like us in business And, and so please keep doing it. I'm greatly appreciative to your support. I am literally going to have to run across the road now to the war room and do another live show. So thank you for joining us and tune in again tomorrow here at the National Pulse podcast.